to Mark's Madness. I seriously hope we don't blow it out. Guys, this is uh, this is Brave New World. It may not sound any different. I don't know. But we're using a new it's mic. For us. We're using a whole new technique. We have headphones on, uh, which is throwing us for a loop. My ears are sweaty. I don't like any of it. <laughs> um, but theoretically, it should be better. Um, and all of this is in uh, is, is, is in response to uh, a whole bunch of you showed up all of a sudden. So yes, if you want to date this, this is like four or five days after all of uh, all the Proles people just swarmed us. Yeah. And we appreciate your swarm. We Welcome to the loving embrace of Mark's Madness. We're happy to have you here. Yeah, share us. Share us everywhere because we are trying to educate. 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 And that educate. was the thing is we are we are here to just supplement everybody else. Um, we are we are thankfully not not overstepping on anyone. We'll discuss that if we get to imperialism next, because then we will absolutely be stepping on people. But we already got the okay from Red Menace to step on them, so so we're gonna probably still do imperialism. Yes. Um. Uh. That that. Well, I mean, and we've been saying we've been gonna, gonna do imperialism for God knows how. Yes. Long. Yes, yes. Yes. We we did we did say it before they said it. So and we, we we are unique because we we hug the text. In break, warm and, except for that one episode where I did a whole episode on the history of 1848. That, but that was context for the text. It was context for the text. It we was hug meta the text. We hug the text. Speaking of hugging the text and the text for the text, Ooh, yes. this is another. And 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 the interesting part is, guys, I don't know where this episode is going to land. I my gut says it's going to be after chapter four. You'll be hearing this. Um, that's my gut instinct. Uh, but it could be anywhere else. It could be any any one of these uh, fun places. But it'll be a surprise nugget, except it won't be a surprise because they'll be listening to it. But it's exactly exactly. This was this is one of those episodes, much like the Paris Commune, where David walks into the pod cave and I go, "Hey, you know all that stuff we prepped for this week? Ha <laughs> ha! We're doing a different thing. Psych. <laughs> um, in addition to the other things we're gonna do. But the rug this was is... pulled out from under me and hung on the wall, hung on the wall for yeah. audio quality. Yes, this is this is Nathan decided to do a whole bunch of extra theory reading this week and wanted to do something with it. So. In order to help, again, contextualize some of State and Revolution, because, again, when you read State and Revolution, Lenin is writing this as a work to his contemporaries, to his revolutionary contemporaries at that point, Mm -hmm. which means they all know what the hell's going on. We don't have, it's the same way I would not, I think we used it before, in the same way I do not have to explain the 2016 election to anyone listening to this, <laughs> Lenin doesn't have to describe what the Gotha program is. He doesn't have to describe what the revolutions of 1848 were. He doesn't have to describe what the Paris Commune is. Um, unfortunately, that being said, I, I do, because I'm a dum-dum and did not know about any of this stuff in context before we got here. So a lot of the reading, especially in Capital, a lot of the reading when they make references to these guys, I did a lot of nodding and yeah, okay, okay, yeah, I know what I know what that guy is. He's a thing. And uh and starting with State and Rev, I kind of was like, you know, that's kind of doing the what we want to do a disservice because the whole goal here is to understand the theory as completely as possible. Yes. And if I understand anything in my rudimentary understanding of historical materialism, you have to understand what was going on and what the situation was to understand how the theory evolved. You just you you can't do it in a vacuum. You have to look at it. So you need to look at context and material conditions that things were done in and what the hell people are talking about. You yeah. know, I mean, someone can go on and on and on about something, but if you don't know what they're talking about, what what do those words even mean to you? Yeah. And so in that in that spirit, there is a lot of references to uh, Marx's critique of the Gotha program. And so if there's one thing I enjoy more about Marx and Lenin than anything else in the world, it's they just, they're the dunking. The the old school dunking, just the, 
the Twitter beefs before they were Twitter beefs. Um, and Critique of the Gotham program is filled with actual good information and then some just quality A-grade dunking by Marx. And it's just, I think both of those are so critical to what this podcast is, theory and dunking, that, uh, that it deserves to be read on its own. So this episode is going to kind of stand apart from everything else. We will insert it where it is necessary. But that being said, Critique of the Gotha Program. Yes. Uh, first and foremost, what the fuck was the Gotha Program? Because that sounds like something that uh, weird kids listening to The Cure did back in the 80s. And I'm, I'm not sure what to do with it. Um, so, yeah, so let's start. Uh, there, was, there was Germany. There, <laughs> there wasn't even Germany yet. Well, okay, fair enough, fair enough. There was... Functionally. There was, <laughs> there was the German state. German Prussia Empire. The German Prussia Empire. And there was a social democratic party. Um, which at the time we were just discussing beforehand, this was before Bernstein, so this was Liebknecht. Liebknecht yeah. and uh, and after LaSalle. LaSalle's impressions are all over this, but I think he was dead by this point. Um, yeah, but he had another party that was merging with them, and that's what drew up the Gotha program. Um, they were becoming one party. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the name of that party was. It never came up in any of the things I'm referencing as doing this, so I'm going to say it's not important. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, for the entire context of what I'm doing, that name never comes up, I don't think. So we're going to call it a day. But real, real quick, that so the Gotha program was was essentially, from a dumbing it down, the way I understood it, it was the equivalent of the DSA coming together and writing down their platform. They got together and they said, this is what we're going to do. It was German DSA guys saying, hi, we would like to come up with a platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Marx immediately critiqued... Oh, it was the German workers program oh oh yeah all right yeah they're in here they're in here um so it's a german workers program uh got together with the social democrats and uh they basically they they wrote to marx and they're like what do you think (laughs) you think this is good oh see he didn't even mention that they wrote to him and said is it good i thought he just came across it and was like this must be avenged no 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 they're like hey marx hey hey buddy hey oh god then you you, then then their dunking on is going to be even more oh yes (laughs) even more savage but first a little background on our our main protagonist of this round because uh uh, it's LaSalle, and we've never talked about LaSalle to this point. And uh, all you need to know about LaSalle is that he was a dick. That's not true. That's not true. Um, he, he was a, a socialist, yes. and functionally speaking. Now, he wasn't not quote-unquote. He was a socialist of just a different breed. Um, the problem was his breed of socialism, and there's a reason we used DSA and some of these other guys' as examples, he was very much an AOC Bernie socialist. Mm-hmm. He was a, I would like to use the words and images of socialism to slowly but surely create a slightly more equitable state for the workers that still retains all of the foundational stuff mm-hmm. that makes it bougie and awful. Um, and I'm going to just couch that in really good words to get me where I want. Some He's ways... a liberal socialist aesthetic. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, to to understand just how unsocialist he would have had to have been, um, one, his entire concept of, of how he was going to do economics was sustained around the what he called the iron law of wages. Hey, this is where this podcast is becoming so fun to me because, hey, I think 
I've heard of something like that before. Who came who came up with the iron who came up with that iron law of decrease? Oh shit, it's Ricardo. It's fucking Ricardo, guys. He's back. He's made his second appearance. Welcome back. Um, so his entire economic theory is based on a Ricardian concept of how economics works. So first and foremost, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Marx is literally... Now, in his defense, at the end of this letter, Marx said he's sending the guy who is writing Brack, he's sending him the last section of Capital, Volume 1. So Capital hasn't come out yet, so I'll give LaSalle the benefit of the doubt for not having read the book that didn't exist yet. But we've gotten past that. So I would not actually a thing. Does not exist. And the whole concept of, of the Iron Law of Wages, if you remember when we talked about it in Capital, is it was based on Malthus. It's based on that Malthusian concept that, that the underclass is going to overpopulate and, and become too high, and that, that's why wages will always be so so depressed because there's too many of them and they keep fucking too much and they won't stop. Fucking Malthus. Um, so, hi, that's his first grounding. That's his first group of friends that he hangs out with. He, he has bad theory, which, okay, you can have bad theory and still be forgivable. We hang out with anarchists. We let them in. Everyone's got their own opinion. We got to do stuff here. Strike two. He was a political advisor to Car Otto von fucking Bismarck. <laughs> the literal devil from the last section we did on the con. You know the guy that helped slaughter all the communards? Otto von Bismarck? Like, historical bad guy Otto von Bismarck? He is an enormous bag of dicks. He was the- Totally, totally loved this guy. I mean, just, just, just proto Hitler, proto Hitler. Yeah. I mean, from the German unification mm-hmm. to the just mass slaughtering of working people, just proto Hitler. Oh yeah, and uh, and and this is a guy that was advised by LaSalle. LaSalle advised to him. They met multiple times. Um, I'm going to read a quote from Bismarck about LaSalle here. Um, I saw him, and since my first conversation, I have never regretted doing so. I saw him perhaps three or four times altogether. There was never the possibility of our talks taking the form of political negotiations. What could LaSalle have offered me? He had nothing behind him, but he attracted me as an individual. We do know that Bismarck is a very good politician, so obviously he knows he's not negotiating with anybody there. Um, He was one of the most intelligent and likable men I had ever come across. He was very ambitious and by no means a Republican. He was very much a nationalist and a monarchist. His ideal was the German Empire, and here was our point of contact. As I have said, he was very ambitious on a large scale, and there is perhaps room for doubt as to whether in his eyes the German Empire ultimately entailed the Holzerhorn or the LaSalle dynasty. Our talks lasted for hours, and I was sorry when they came for an end. So Bismarck acknowledged, and again... He was a monarchist. That's abs- the first time I've heard this Ottoman Bismarck quote about this. Oh, welcome. Welcome. It puts a lot in perspective. That's a lot. So, it, again, there's a reason they got along because, again, LaSalle at the end, and I think that context on LaSalle, this is like, this show has just become the context for the context for the context, I feel like. Because this context for LaSalle, I think, is going to explain why the Gotha program is so effing off the rails and so out of whack with what any good Marxist or Leninist would see as, as socialism. Like, yeah, it's not good socialism because he wasn't socialist. He didn't believe in this. He wanted to be a monarch. He wanted to be a ruler. He wanted to be the Bismarck of, of wherever we ended up. And he thought that was the way to power. So that context being out of the, out of, out of the way, let's go to, ah, Gotha. So the critique of the Gotha program, as we talked about, was written in April or early May 1875. No one's quite a 1,000% sure. Sure, somebody is, but we're not. Um, And the critique of the Gotha program is a critique of the draft program of the United Workers' Party of Germany. 
which we talked about. Yeah. Uh, in this document, Marx addresses the dictatorship of the proletariat, the period of transition from capitalism to communism, and the two phases of communist society. Uh, this is what's going to really come up in Chapter 5. So I'm going to try... A lot of this is going to get repeated in Chapter 5, and I, I, I don't want to... I debated whether to leave that in or cut it out, kind of like we did with um, Lenin on the Paris Commune. Um, but some of it, I think, is just natural for this whole thing to flow. And I think hearing it twice, hearing it in this, in just Marx's words, and then hearing it again, how Lenin references it, is going to do nothing but reinforce that theory and reinforce why it's important. So so if we get a little redundant, you, you have a skip button. You can skip. It's fine. I'm not going to get offended. Um, so moving on to where we actually started here. This is the foreword. This was the the letter to Brecht itself. Um the manuscript published here. This is he's going over. He kind of gives the background, which we've already given. The ruthless severity with which the draft program. Oh no, I apologize. All right, I we yeah we're not going to edit it because I'm an idiot, but it'll stay. This is not that. This is uh, the forward by Engels. So Engels is doing the forward of what he of what got written here after Marx. I think this was already after Marx had passed. Yeah, 1891. So this is Engels giving pretext to this letter he's about to publish in 1891. Um, the ruthless severity with which the draft program is dissected, the mercilessness with which the results obtained are enunciated, and the shortcomings of the draft laid bare. All this today, after 15 years, can no longer give offense. Specifically, Lasallians now exist only abroad as an isolated ruin, and in how the Gotha program was given up, even by its creators, is altogether inadequate. Nevertheless, I have omitted a few sharp personal expressions and judgments where they were immaterial and replaced them with dots. Marx himself would have done so if he had published the manuscript today. The violence of the language in some passage was provoked by two circumstances in the first place. Marx and I had been more intimately connected with the German movement than with any other. We were therefore bound to be particularly perturbed by the decidedly retrograde step manifested by this draft. And secondly, we were at the time, hardly two years after the Hague Congress of the International, engaged in the most violent struggle against Bakunin and his anarchists, who made us responsible for everything that happened in the labor movement in Germany. Hence, we had to expect that we would also be addled with the secret paternity of this program. These considerations do not now exist, and so far there is no, there is no necessity for these passages in question. For reasons arising from press law, a few sentences have been indicated only by dots, where I have had chosen a milder expression than has been enclosed. It's in square brackets. Again, I do just love that the whole preface to that is, is Angle This going, is the nice version. Guys, this is the edited version. This is absolutely the toned down. And it's mean. This is still the toned down version. Like, we cut out the, the real, real nasty stuff for you. Um, which, God, I just love it. He's so good. So, now we're into the letter to Brock. Brack. Brack, Brock, 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 Brack. Um, Brack. One of them. B-R-A-C-K-E. Y'all can say it how you want. This was written May 5th, 1875. We have a date. Dear Brack. When you have read the following critical marginal notes on the Unity program, would you be so good as to send them on the guy Bauer, Babel, and Leipnacht for examination? I am exceedingly busy and have to overstep by far the limit of work allowed me by the doctors. Hence, it is anything but a pleasure to write such a lengthy creed. It was, however, necessary so that the steps to be taken by me later on would not be misinterpreted by our friends in the party for whom this communication is intended. Basically, it's like, yeah. Guys, I'm tired, and y'all motherfuckers are gonna make me go do this now, aren't you? Y'all gonna make y'all really gonna I'm make sick. me do that? I'm laying my ass down. I, I, why? Why I, are you bothering me? With why this? are you making me do this? Like, why did you do this, you bastards? <laughs> um, apart from this, it is my duty not to give recognition, even by diplomatic silence, to what, in my opinion, is a thoroughly objectable program that demoralizes the party. Every step of real movement is more important than a dozen programs. 
If, therefore, it is not possible and the conditions of the item did not permit it to go beyond the Eisenbach program, one should simply have concluded an agreement for action against the common enemy. But by drawing up a program of principles instead of postponing it until it has been prepared by considerable common activity, one sets up the whole world landmark by which it measures the level of the party movement. Basically, hey, hey, hey guys, we're, we're doing a revolution here. You don't fucking write out your man, your your step by step guide to what you're going to do to overthrow a government if you actually intend to overthrow a government. Yeah. What are you doing? And again, we see this all the time in yeah. modern which politics, is, which is twofold. You're not handing them your plans. Mm-hmm. That's that's dumb as shit. Uh, but on top of that, you don't know what situations are going to present themselves. Yeah. And so you can't sit. I mean, you got to have a plan, but you can't can't sit there and go, oh, we can't go off script and and get completely kerfuffled by that. You know, you've got to see what the people want, what the people need, how material conditions come up, stuff like that. And I do love, again, just the line that uh, uh, one step of movement is better than a dozen programs. Just the, we, yeah. you can, uh, I, I feel like it's more, the praxis is, is, is more important than everything else. You have to be putting this to use. Just sitting here and philosophizing into the, into the black void does you no good. Like, and, mm-hmm. and again, re- making a committee for the committee to set a committee up is not, and this is just so good because again, it's. It just goes. It's a meeting to have a meeting. It is, but it's everything to the core of what people critique Marxism or, or the Soviet Union, all this stuff. The, oh, it's just bureaucracy and red tape and, and, and committees. For, if you listen to what actually was intended, all of this stuff goes away and it's going to get worse throughout this letter like so many of the, of the common criticisms are Marx is just going, fuck this, this is not what I wanted. So on to his actual critique which is labeled by the sections, essentially, of it. So imagine this as a a declaration of independence, if you will, and uh, Marx is going line by line why it's fucked. (laughs) Number one, labor is the source of wealth in all culture. And since useful labor is possible only in society and through society, the proceeds of labor belong undiminished with equal rights to all members of society. Just imagine, insert long, (sighs) labor is not the source of all wealth, Nature is just as much a source of use values, and it's surely of such material, and it's surely of this that such material wealth consists, uh, as labor, which itself is only the manifestation of a force of nature, human labor power. The above phrase is to be found in all children's primers and is correct insofar as it's implied that labor is performed with the help of subjects and instruments. But a socialist program cannot allow such bourgeois phrases to pass over in silence. The conditions that loan give them meaning, and insofar as a man from the beginning behaves towards nature, the primary source of all instruments and subjects of labor, as an owner, treats her as belonging to him. His labor becomes the source of use values, therefore also of wealth. The bourgeoisie have very good grounds for falsely accusing supernatural creative power to labor, since precisely from the fact that labor depends on nature, it follows that the men who possess no other property than their labor must in all conditions of society and culture be the slave of other men who have made themselves the owner of the material conditions of labor. He can only work with their permission, hence live only with their permission. You can really, really tell that this work came out prior that that the the gotha program came out prior to capital being wildly profligated because if you were going to call this socialism marxism they fucked up this fucked up chapter one (laughs) they fucked up what 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 use values are guys like they they screwed up and, and never came back from it 
Uh, let us now leave that sentence as it stands, or rather limps. Uh, what could one have expected in conclusion to that original sentence? Since labor is the source of all wealth, no one in society can appropriate wealth except as the product of labor. Therefore, if he himself does not work, he lives by the labor of others and also acquires his culture at the expense of the labor of others. Instead of this, by means of this verbal river and sense, a proposition is added in order to draw a conclusion from this, and not from the first one. Second part of the paragraph. Useful labor is possible only in a society and through society. According to the first proposition, labor was the source of all wealth and all culture. Therefore, no society is possible without labor. Now we learn conversely that no useful labor is possible without society. One could just as well have said that only in society can useless and even socially harmful labor become a branch of gainful occupation, that only in a society can one live being idle, etc., etc. In short, we could have just well copied the whole of Rousseau. <laughs> and it, uh, yeah, 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 he's right. It, yeah. Again, it, it's, it's Marx's attacks are so much to the... This is the meaningless it's, platitudes. It's it's the job experience required for a job. It, right? It's so you need, you need experience to get a job. You need a job to get experience. You need to, you know it's cyclical nonsense. They're they're essentially doing that with labor. They're and they wrote it in job. the same sentence with yes. no like the first sentence of your of your creed, and you are fucked up this bad, and they don't stop. Oh man! <clears throat> Thirdly, the conclusion. Useful labor is possible only in society and through society. The proceeds of labor belong undiminished with equal rights to all members of society. A fine conclusion. If useful labor is possible only in society and through society, the proceeds of labor belong to society. And only so much therefrom accrues to the individual worker as is not required to maintain the condition of labor society. Because again, labor can't happen without society. Labor becomes the source of wealth and culture only as social labor, is how Marx would have worded that. Or, what is the same thing, in and through society. This proposition is incontestably correct, for although isolated labor, its material conditions presupposed, can create use value, it can create neither wealth nor culture. We established that. You're not going to make... Pure labor is not going to make wealth. You have mm-hmm. to, there has to be another trigger. What was that trigger? Hey, guys, it's in capital. Spoiler alerts. Go back. Um, <laughs> we have a few hours of that for you to Oh, dude, yeah, like 20-something of it, yeah. Uh, but equally incontestable is this other proposition. In proportion, as labor develops socially and becomes thereby a source of wealth and culture, poverty and destitution develop among the workers and wealth and culture among the non-workers. This is a law of all history hitherto. What, therefore, had to be done here, instead of setting down general phrases about labor and society, was to prove concretely how in present capitalist society the material conditions have at last been created which enable and compel the workers to lift this social curse. Marx is saying, don't just say vague platitudes about how labor is creating the world. Say what it is and why it's so. Or write a thousand-page book about it. I did that. Hi, look at me. My name's Carl. Don't. Don't Robert O'Rourke. Socialism. Oh, God, Robert Francis O'Rourke, you get yourself fucked right now. Oh, God. Oh, I'm getting on a list for that one, but that's not his name, so they won't find it. Um, number two. We're moving on to the second the second leg of this rock-solid platform they've got going here. In present-day society, the instruments of labor are the monopoly of the capitalist class. The resulting dependence of the working class is the cause of misery and servitude in all forms. Again. 
Sounds good. Yeah. It sounds like a positive thing. Sure. That sounds like something that, that Kamala Harris would stand on a stage yeah, and could, say somewhere. I could, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's one of those, like, profound in your ear. Uh-huh. You just don't let it rattle around it's in your very mu- That Beto O'Rourke tweet on Twitter the other day, maybe today, I don't know. It's been, it's all blurring together. So it was just like, let me be clear. And then an entire Twitter <laughs> post of nothing but nonsense. Just nothing but nonsense. Like it couldn't, he could, the irony couldn't have slapped him in the face harder and he just it passed by him. Let me be clear. I will eat green eggs and ham. I will eat the <laughs> Sam I am. <laughs> Oh, God. All right. In present-day society, the instruments of labor are the monopoly of the capitalist class. The resulting dependence of the working class is the cause of misery and servitude in all forms. This sentence is borrowed from the rules of the international, is correct in this improved edition. In present-day society, the instruments of labor are the monopoly of the landowners. The monopoly of property in land is even the basis of the monopoly of capital, and the capitalists. In the passage in question, the rules of the international do not mention either one of the other classes of monopolists. They speak of the monopolizer of the means of labor that is the source of life. The addition sources of life makes it sufficiently clear that land is included in instruments of labor, but it is neglected here. The correction was introduced because LaSalle, for reasons now generally known, attacked only the capitalist class not the landowners. In England, the capitalist class is usually not even the owner of the land on which his factory stands. Again, LaSalle was not actually for the emancipation of the proletariat. Yeah. He wanted his own brand of bougie liberalism that he could get behind. Yeah, I mean, just realize, remember, 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 your rulers are your boss and your landlord. And not just your landlord, if you're renting where you live, your boss's landlord. The bank's giving them the loans... They're all ruling you. It all goes all the way down. Number three, moving on to his third tenet. The emancipation of labor demands the promotion of the instruments of labor to the common property of society and the cooperative regulation of the total labor with a fair distribution of the proceeds of labor. Okay. All right. Let's see where you're going. Promotion of the instruments of labor to the common property ought obviously to read their conversion into the common property, but this is only to start. What are the proceeds of labor, the product of labor or its value? And in the latter case, is it the total value of the product or only that product of value which labor has newly added to the value of the means of production consumed? Proceeds of labor is a loose notion which LaSalle has put in place of definite economic conceptions. What is a fair distribution? Do not bourgeois, do not the bourgeoisie assert that the present day distribution is fair? And is it not, in fact, the only fair distribution on the basis of the present-day mode of production? Are economic relations regulated by legal conceptions, or do not, on the contrary, legal relations arise out of economic ones? Have not also the socialist sectarians the most varied notions about fair distribution? Again, it, it, it all sounds good until you interrogate it for two seconds. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the uh, access to everything, mm-hmm. equality... Oh, okay. for... Access, everyone deserves access to affordable health care. Yeah, what do you mean access? What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, or everyone deserves our real freedoms, real free. like what, which freedoms? What, which what ones freedoms? specifically are yeah. we talking about here? Oh, the freedom to own private property? Cool, cool, yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, freedom cool. to exploit people, yeah. It's just like that state's right, that the Civil War. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that dastardly rights they took that away. Damn, that damn state's right. Those states need their rights. Let us take, first of all, 
the words proceeds of labor in the sense that these are the product of labor. And then the cooperative proceeds of labor are the total social product. So essentially what we're, what we're getting at now is this fair distribution of who can get what. Um, and, and so, okay, fine. Take everything that you produce as a, as a society, put it all in a pool, put it all in one big bucket. That's your total social product. From this now must be deducted first, cover for replacement of the means of production used up. We talk about that in capital a lot. That is a part of constant capital. It needs to exist. Just because they're going, we're going to overthrow it, we're going to have cooperative ownership of the means of production, doesn't mean the process of production changes. You're still yeah. going to need the constant capital, the machinery, all of the upkeep. That's still going to exist. You're going to need to take that out. That's what your taxes, whatever whatever exists in your, in your version of socialism, part of it's coming out immediately to help maintain that because you have to keep your system running. Uh, second, additional portion for expansion of production. Again, growth, growth, things like that. Everyone who says that, like, capital thinks it's just like communism is going to come in and then everything's going to stop and you're never going to move forward. You're not going to. This is fucking. This is letter to the Gotha program. This is 1875 and Marx was already acknowledging you were going to have growth and you were going to keep your machines running. Like, this is not some Luddite system. Third, Reserve or insurance funds to provide against such accidents, dislocations caused by natural calamities, etc. Marx created FEMA. <laughs> I don't know if you're all aware, but Karl Marx made FEMA, guys. That's a thing. That is accurate. And then George Bush fucked it and up. And then George Bush fucked it up. And now we've got FEMA death squads roaming the streets doing God knows what. I don't... FEMA Blackwater out there. Jesus Christ. Eric Prince get fucked. Yeah. Uh, these deductions from the undiminished proceeds of labor are an economic necessity, and their magnitude is to be determined according to the available means and forces, and partly by computation of probabilities. But they are no way calculable by equity. There remains the other part of the total product intended to serve as the means of consumption. So here's what we've got left over that isn't necessary for the maintenance of society. Before this is divided among the individuals, there has to be deducted again from it. First, the general cost of administration not belonging to production. This part will, from the outset, be very considerably restricted in comparison with present-day society, and it diminishes in proportion as the new society develops. Again, all the bulk and the bullshit and the pork and the, the nonsense necessities for trips to Mar-a-Lago and all of that stuff will... will There, will, there are administrative needs yeah, in maintaining a society... There. They're going to be significantly lower off the get-go, and they're only going to get lower as society right. keeps progressing. Right. I mean, like, right now, politicians have, like, four houses that are all bigger than yours. Yeah. Uh, Stalin still needed somewhere to live, but he was sharing an apartment with a guy. Yeah. So, again, it gets it gets a lot, lot less, but it still needs to be taken count, account of. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, that which is intended for the common satisfaction of needs, such as schools, health services, etc. From the outset, this part grows considerably in comparison with present-day society, and it grows in proportion as the new society develops. So if you're looking at them as two different bars on a bar graph, as the bullshit, pork, nonsense, four-houses spending goes down, spending for healthcare and education, all these other things, is going to go up because you're going to literally just move that bucket over there where it's useful. Weird why communists and socialist countries tend to have way better health and human services and sh- like and that literacy. And uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, life expectancy, all that fun stuff. Um, and third, funds for those unable to work. In short, for what is included under so-called official poor relief today. So welfare. 
the con the, the welfare yeah. as it exists not as it exists now dear christ not as it exists now in an actual like humane way that people would be able to survive not this universal basic income bullshit that andrew yang's out there preaching about because- yeah i mean marx Lenin are not are not unafraid to talk about like leeches and hangers on but they mean the capitalist yes i mean they they were very aware that that welfare disability that kind of thing was going to be needed yes because they're not it, they're not morons. No, and they're not I, ruthless bastards. They're not ruthless bastards, and they're not. They just they look at a society. And again, this was all. The, I thought this was so interesting in Goth, and and he goes through it a little bit of it when we get to that chapter in Satan Rev. But everyone, this whenever they say, "Well, we don't, they don't know what, how would your society function? What would it run on? How would it?" There were very clear, obvious, like, no, do it like this is how you would do it. This is how it would go. I mean, there there are roadmaps for how we want to do this. Yeah, so we go through state and rev and and Lenin's apologetically unapologetically like those who don't work don't eat. They mean the fucking capitalists. Yes. They don't mean And that I think cuz that was the biggest reason I wanted to get through because it is your re- if you're reading state and rev uninitiated and yeah. it says th- I was like it's those who don't work won't don't eat. I'm like Fuck! Like, dude, Lenin! Whoa, dude! Why? Oh, fuck! This got real bad real quick. Yeah, that's That's talking about the landlord who's just sitting at home taking half of your Mm -hmm. income to own a house. Like, all of those people don't eat. That's Mm -hmm. your difference. They have to produce for society. Um, The unelected judges mitigating mm -hmm. every fucking thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Only now do we come to the distribution. Which the program under Lasallian influence alone has in its view in its narrow fashion, namely to that part of the means of consumption which is divided among the individual producers of our cooperative society. The undiminished proceeds of labor have already unnoticeably become converted into the diminished proceeds. Although what the producer is deprived of in his capacity as a private individual benefits him directly or indirectly in his capacity as a member of society. The complete anti-libertarian, the, no, just give everybody, give all, taxes or theft, give us all our money, and we'll, I don't know, just get together and decide that roads are a good idea and that we should have health No, no. That's what the Lasallians were saying. They say, everyone will get the full value of their work. And Marx and Lenin are like, no, that's asinine. No, you're not. Yeah. You're not going to get the full. No one's going to no get the gonna full. Because no one's going to be like, I don't want to be the one to spend on the roads. Exactly. And and you better believe those roads, that health care, those schools, those are all going to benefit you. But if you're sitting there just trying to buy your own, even, of course, most people aren't going to be able to afford it. And even the people that have the initiative, they're going to be paying out of the ass and then not getting the cooperation for it. You know, at, at some point, it, it it really does, you know, Lenin is not shy. He's like, oh, we're not a state that benefits everyone. We're, we're, we don't mind fucking the wealth, wealthy over. We're yeah. here for benefiting the worker. But at some point, even the wealthy get fucked over are going to benefit the society. Yeah. They're just not going to benefit in the, the class structure and the worldly power that they value so much. And more. that is a really interesting. Someone the other day was talking about, I don't remember. It might have been philosophy tube. I don't know. I'm still thinking into that. There's some, there's some of the stuff really good. Um, but it, it was this argument that, that, that liberalism, essentially liberalism is, is kind of nefarious in the sense that it tries to say that it is, it, it is the ideology of everyone. It is the ideology of inclusion. Everyone is treated equal and we all, it's all a big tent and we bring them all in. And that's contrasted with fascism, which says that it's only if you're a, 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 
pure a version of our version of the ethno. I don't want to say white because Japan was absolutely fascist, sure. under, and that you know it, it's whatever our version of the proper ethnicity is, yes. or or communism where it's you know the the it's only for the working class and it's not for the. Ca- it's like, yeah, but it, they're on it. Like, there's an honesty to that because liberalism absolutely is going to fuck people. It's absolutely, it, this, its whole goal is decide. It's a rat race. The it creates a rat it, race. There has to be losers if there's a winner. But that's what, and that's the great myth of liberalism. And there's always they more keep, losers than winners. It's not a two person race. Like, at least communists are honest about who we are going to fuck to make the society work. Yeah. Liberalism fucks people indiscriminately, but makes up very convenient rules for why they're allowed to get fucked. Why, oh, you committed a crime. Well, we can get free prison labor and you're not allowed to vote anymore. Boom, we got you there. Um, oh, you happen to be black. Cool, slavery, because we've written you out of the, the thing. I mean, it, there are so many ways that it fucks with you. And that's, I just appreciate again that, that you know, communism is honest. That social, they were very upfront about what they were trying to do. There was no cloak and dagger here. Um, Within a cooperative society based on common ownership of the means of production, the producers do not exchange their products. Just as little does the labor employed on the products appear here as value of these products, as a material quality possessed by them. Since now, in contrast to capitalist society, individual labor no longer exists in an indirect fashion, but directly as a component part of total labor. The phrase proceeds of labor, objectionable also today on account of its ambiguity, thus loses all meaning altogether. What we have to deal with here is a communist society, not as it has developed on its own foundations, but on the contrary, as it has emerged from capitalist society, which in thus every respect, economically, morally, and intellectually, still stamped with the birthmarks of the old society with whom with whom's womb it emerges. They knew what they were playing with. They knew what society they were playing within. And this is where we're going to start getting to the transitionary state. And this is what Lenin specifically is hammering on in chapter five. Um, And Marx is going to outline it a little bit here. Um, In spite of this advance, this equal right is still constantly stigmatized by a bourgeois limitation. The right of the producers is proportional to the labor they supply. The equity consists in the fact that the measurement is made with an equal standard of labor. But one man is superior to another physically or mentally and supplies more labor in the same time or can labor for a longer time and labor to serve as a measure must be defined by its duration or intensity. Otherwise it ceases to be a standard of measurement. So for measuring everyone's what, well, you're going to make what you're going to get the full value of your labor and that's going to create a qual. Well, hold on. No, it's not. People are different. People, yeah, people are not the create inequality. Yeah. People are not the same. Someone's going to work longer. How are you going to sell that? Like, yeah, this is a thing. This is not utopian. Um, it recognizes the equal right is unequal for unequal labor. It's that that good line. Harvey has a really good line that there, there is nothing more unequal than treating unequals as equal. Yeah. Um, if, if things are inherently unequal, just pretending it's all the same is not equality. And, and you're an idiot if you think it is. Um, this, this equal right is unequal right for unequal labor. It recognizes no class differences because everyone is only a worker like everyone else, but it tacitly recognizes unequal individual endowment and thus productive capacity as a natural privilege. It is therefore a right of inequality in its content, like every right. Right by its very nature can can consist only in the application of an equal standard, but unequal individuals, and they would not be different (laughs) individuals if they were not unequal, are measurable only by an equal standard insofar as they are brought under an equal point of view. They are taken from one definite side only. For instance, in the present case, are regarded only as workers, and nothing more is seen in them. 
Everything else is being ignored. Further, one worker is married, another is not, one has more children than another, and so on and so forth. Thus, with equal performance of labor, and an, hence an equal in the social consumption fund, one will in fact receive more than another, one will be richer than another, and so on. To avoid all these defects, right, instead of being equal, would have to be unequal. This is, again, recognizing that we, the transitory state, is not we're not going to jump from capitalism to pure across the board yeah equal it it's a fantasy it's not going to happen that is not any principled marxist does not think that's going to happen no and and, and straw manning them with that kind of nonsense is 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 just ignorant you don't know what the text says yeah and i think it's one of the things that does get touched on in chapter 5 but i just love it's so much of a drive at home he was talking about the different men and the different needs. Yes. Um, so, you know, one is single, one is married, one has children. You know, somebody with 10 children and then someone else has one children, child, one children. <laughs> they have one children. One unit of child. <laughs> one child. And let's say they, they make the same amount because they work equally hard and now you're keeping all your labor. So what those children have is based on the fruits of that labor. Well, the one child is going to have literally 10 times as much as each of the other 10 children. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not not equal that way. No, it's not. The emancipation of labor. Now we're on to number four. We're on to their yes. fourth, their fourth, the fourth tenet of this glorious work. The emancipation of labor must be the work of the working class, relative to which all other classes are only one reactionary mass. Ooh, that sounds good. Working <laughs> class, good. Everyone else, reactionary, good. Okay, now. we You should have learned by now. The first stroth is taken from the introductory works of the rules of the international, but improved. There it is said the emancipation of the working class must be the act of the workers themselves. Here, on the contrary, the working class has to emancipate what? Labor? Let him understand who can. <laughs> oh, let him do. Oh, Marsh, you're just so good. I miss you. Yes. In compensation, the antiprophy. Antiprophy, the, the latter half in Greek. Antistrophy. Yeah. The thing that means the latter half in Greek, on the other hand, is a Lasallian quotation of the first water, relative to which, the working class, all other classes are only one reactionary mass. In the Communist Manifesto, it is said, of all the classes that stand face to face with the bourgeoisie today, the proletariat alone is really a revolutionary class. The other classes decay and finally disappear in the face of modern industry. The proletariat is its special and essential product. The bourgeoisie is here conceived as a revolutionary class, as the bearer of large-scale industry relative to the feudal lords and the lower middle class who desire to maintain all social positions that are the creation of obsolete modes of production. Thus, they do not form together with the bourgeoisie only one reactionary mass. On the other hand, the proletariat is revolutionary relative to the bourgeoisie because having itself grown up on the basis of large-scale industry, it strives to strip off from production the capitalist character that the bourgeoisie seeks to perpetrate. But the manifesto adds that the lower middle class is becoming revolutionary in view of its impending transfer to the proletariat. From this point of view, therefore, it is again nonsense to say that together with the bourgeoisie and with the feudal lords into the bargain, they form only one reactionary mass relative to the working class. 
Has one proclaimed to the artisan, small manufacturers, and peasants during the last elections, relative to us, you with the bourgeoisie and feudal lords, form one reactionary mass? Again, just a real good hammer home on the Bolshevik-Menshevik distinction, how the Bolsheviks recognized mm-hmm. we need to include everyone, we need the peasants, we need the up, we need the down, we need everybody. Yes. Uh, hammer and sickle. Exactly. And again, LaSalle is this, to take him over to the French, he's just one of these bougie lawyers that wants to be the one in control. He wants to use the right words to talk about equality and all of that, but he doesn't want to actually deal with what that equality would mean. LaSalle knew the Communist Manifesto by heart, as his faithful followers know the gospel written by him. If, therefore, he has falsified it so grossly, this has occurred only to put a good color on his alliance with absolutist and feudal opponents against the bourgeoisie. Oh, moving on to five. The working class strives for its emancipation, first of all, within the framework of the present-day national states, conscious that the necessary result of of its effort, which are common to the workers of all civilized countries, will be the international brotherhood of peoples. Oh, buddy, that's a... Yeah, fucked up there. You done (laughs) fucked up. You used that national word. And uh, if there's one one thing we don't like here, it's, it's that concept. Um... Unless, of course, we're talking about the Global South, in which case your nationalism could be used to overthrow colonialism. Eh, there's differences, but right now... This is Germany. Germany in the 1800s. Yeah. Nationalism is no bueno. No. Germany... Let's just let's just be very, very clear. I don't want to put, like, a year stamp on it. Nationalism <laughs> in Germany is no bueno. <laughs> Too <laughs> Let's just make that. There was never okay. Yeah, throughout the course of the shadow of a doubt, there was never a good time for German nationalism. German nationalism, bad. You are correct. That is a good point. We can we can blanket that statement pretty hard. LaSalle, in opposition to the Communist Manifesto and to all earlier socialism, conceived the workers' movement from the narrowest national standpoint. He is being followed in this, and after that, the work of the and after the work of the international. So again, he, he's taking a step. This is what Marx pointed out the whole time. This whole thing is a step back. They had already gone forward, and LaSalle and and this in the Gotham program were oh, we're trying to go backwards. And why would you do that? Huh? Maybe I hung out with Bismarck too long. That might be a reason. We skip a little bit, and then we move on to to big section number two of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where it starts getting fun. This is where we start getting into a lot of, of the overlap between four and five, but a lot of stuff that's good in state and rev. So starting from these basic principles, the German Workers' Party strives by all legal means for the free state and socialist society that abolition of the wage system together with the iron law of wages, boo, exploitation in every form, the elimination of all social and political inequality. That is the just loftiest of vagary nonsense I've ever heard of. Yes. Marx, I shall return to the free state later. <laughs> Bookmark that. <laughs> Put a pin in it, I'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> so in the future, the German Workers' Party has got to believe in LaSalle's iron law of wages. That this may not be lost, the nonsense is perpetrated of speaking of the abolition of the wage system. It should read, system of wage labor, together with the iron law of wages. If I abolish wage labor, then naturally I abolish its laws also, whether they are iron or sponge. But LaSalle's attack on wage labor turns almost solely on this so-called law. In order, therefore, to prove that LaSalle's sect has conquered the wage system must be abolished together with the iron law of wages and not without it. Again, LaSalle being committed to this I mean, as we're speaking, getting debunked Ricardo notion of the law of wages just makes the whole thing bad. 
but if I take the law with LaSalle's stamp on it, and consequently in his sense, then I must also take with it his substantiation for it. And what is that? As Lang already showed shortly after LaSalle's death, it is Malthusian theory of population, preached by Lang himself. But if this theory is correct, then again, I cannot abolish the law even if I abolish wage labor a hundred times over. Because the law then governs not only the system of wage labor, but every social system. Basing themselves directly on this, the economists have been proving for 50 years and more that socialism cannot abolish poverty, which has its basis in nature, but can only make it general, distribute it simultaneously over the whole surface of society. Hmm, that sounds like some reactionary bullshit we hear today. It's almost... Almost like reactionaries that say communists is bad and you make everybody poor are just Malthusian dumbasses. And they keep repeating the same critiques that just aren't there. Yeah, and then they wait for, like, Margaret Thatcher to put it into edgy words. Jesus, Jesus. But all this is not the main thing. Quite apart from the false Lasallian formulation of the law, the truly outrageous retrogression consists in the following. Since Lasalle's death, there has asserted itself in our party the scientific understanding that wages are not what they appear to be, namely the value or price of labor. Again, this is kind of a him him giving a sneak peek of what was coming up for the rest of the world in That's capital. That's right, which for us it's a review. It should be, but again, nice. To, ni- the yeah, more we reinforce, you, no, no, the, more we reinforce the points, the more concrete they become. But only a masked form for the value or price of labor power, thereby the whole bourgeois conception of wages hitherto, as well as all the criticism hitherto directed at this conception, was thrown overboard once and for all. It was made clear that the wage worker has permission to work for his own subsistence, that is, to live only insofar as he works for a certain time gratis for the capitalist, and hence also the latter's co-consumers of surplus value. Again, this is that time of the working day, the capitalist has to get a certain amount of work labor out of you for free in order for their cycle to perpetuate itself. That whole capitalist system of production turns on the increase of this gratis labor by extending the working day or developing the productivity that is increasing the intensity of labor power, etc. That consequently, the system of wage labor is a system of slavery, and indeed of a slavery which becomes more severe in proportion as the social productive forces of labor develop, whether the worker receives better or worse payment. And after this understanding has gained more and more ground in our party, some return to LaSalle's dogma, although they have known that LaSalle did not know what wages were, but following in the wake of the bourgeois economists took the appearance for the essence of the matter. Again, by the time this came out, Marx had explained what wages were. He'd explained what wage labor was. So why the heck, 15 years later... Are we putting out this Gotha program that just pretends that didn't happen? Well, and this is something, again, you know, I mean, let's review it a little bit from Capital and let's go hard on that text because Mark says whether you get paid a lot or a little, you know, it's still intensifying wage slavery. I mean, this is something he talked about in Capital with gold plating of the chains. You know, I mean, you can have fancier things, you know, gold plate the chains unless you have some way to break out of the sustenance of labor. You are always in control. And what's going on, what's always happening is as these means of production develop, your production is going to get more and more intense, longer hours, more is demanded from you. So you might have a more comfortable living the rare time that you're off work, but work is more and more consuming of your life and demanding as things go, unless people, of course, push back. Mm-hmm. So even even when being wealthier, 
Capitalism is still making things worse to you day by day unless you have enough wealth to break out of the labor system. And if everybody was making that, the system would explode. It wouldn't happen. No. So it is happy to take all the wealth that could almost jump you out of that system and pack it into almost forcing you to gold plate your chains. And voila, <laughs> now you need a car, now you need an iPhone, now you need the bigger cheeseburger for dinner, whatever. The better microphone to record this. Better time. microphone to record the damn <laughs> podcast. Yeah, I'm bougie as fuck. Uh, all right. It is as if among slaves who have at last got behind the secret of slavery and broken out in rebellion, a slave still enthralled to obsolete notions were to inscribe on the program of the rebellion, slavery must be abolished because the feeding of slaves in the system of slavery cannot exceed a certain low maximum. It's just so, it's just such a, it's a, it's a, per, it's a great analogy, but it's just, yes. oh, Marx. Does not the mere fact that representatives of our party were capable of perpetrating such a monstrous attack on the understanding that has spread among the mass of our party prove by itself with what criminal levity and what lack of conscience they set to work in drawing up this compromise program? Instead of the indefinite concluding phrase of the paragraph, the elimination of all social and political equality, it all it ought to have said that with the abolition of class distinctions, all social and political inequality quality arising from them would disappear of itself. The Gotha program is absolutely the Heritage Foundation healthcare for all plan of uh, of of eighteen hundred <laughs> socialism, guys. I'm just saying that's this is not it is just it is just conceding points that had long since been disproven as bullshit. Just I, I don't even know. I get the, the historical context of why they thought this was a good idea, I don't know. Um moving on to section three of his critique. Mm-hmm. The German Workers' Party, in order to pave the way to the solution of the social question, demands the establishment of producers' cooperative societies with state aid under the democratic control of the toiling people. The producers' cooperative societies are to be called into being for industry and agriculture on such a scale that the socialist organization of total labor will arise from them. Oh, Nelly. Oh, we got... Oh, Nelly, guys. We got some problems there. Um, just, Just so... So, so many problems. So, after the Lasallian Iron Law of Wages, the physique, the, the salve of the prophet, the way to it is paved in worthy fashion. In place of the existing class struggle appears a newspaper scribbler phrase, the social question, to the solution of which one paves the way. Instead of arising from the revolutionary process of transformation of society, the socialist organization of the total labor arises from the state aid that the state gives to the producers' cooperative societies and which the state, not the workers, call into being. It is worthy of LaSalle's imagination that the state loans can build a new society just as well as a new railway. This is like... That FDR New Deal is what say is what's creating socialism. It's like hyper Keynesian economics before Keynes existed. Like it's <laughs> it's it's like it's insanity. It's absolute. It's absolute nonsense. It is literally him expecting that a government will of its own accord bring about its own death. What? 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 No! 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 <sighs> From the remnants of a sense of shame, state aid has been put under the democratic control of the toiling people. And get ready for Marx plays with grammar. In the first place, the majority of the toiling people in Germany consist of peasants, not proletarians. Second, 
Democratic means in German, Volkerschlecht, by the rule of the people. But what does control by the rule of the people of the toiling people mean? And particularly in the case of a toiling people, which through these demands that it puts to the state expresses its full consciousness that it neither rules nor is right for ruling. I just, it, that was good. That was, that, yeah. that was, that was very, that was very snarky of Marx and I appreciate it, but, but it's a good point. Mar- again, another thing to factor and this factored in, again, it's been a critique of, it was definitely a critique of the commune. It was, uh, it, I think it's a critique that modern, uh, uh, you know, analysts will, will level at the Soviet Union. Putting the people in control of the state, the, the, the dictatorship of the proletariat, requires some things. One of them is a fucking proletariat. Mm-hmm. A knowledgeable proletariat, sure, but at the very least, just any proletariat. You have to have a majority. The proletariat has to be able to make up at least enough of a majority to form the basis of this new society. Germany didn't have that at the time. There was no established German proletariat. So what is the... You're going to hand the, 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 the reins of government over to peasants who... And again, this isn't... I, I, don't, I don't know if this is peasantish. I don't know if there's a form of racism for peasants. But under Marx's own system, that wasn't how you were supposed to do it. Mm-mm. And that caused the... And it was a, a marked failing of, of the commune, which this was written well after. So why do you take, why, how do you not take the failings? We talk about it so much in, when we did the commune. Uh, the lessons of the commune were so well learned by Lenin and the Bolsheviks. You saw it when they did it. If you wonder why the Soviet revolution went off and the German revol- so, uh, uh, Soviet socialist revolution didn't, they may have not have been learning the lessons they needed to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big one right there. The chief offense does not lie in having inscribed this specific nostrum into the program, but in taking in general a retrograde step from a standpoint of a class movement to that of a sectarian movement. Again, getting away from class being your ideology, getting trying to make it about, uh, you know, oh, us and them and, and little groups, not making it about solidly on class that the workers desire to establish the conditions for cooperative production on a social scale and first of all on a national scale in their own country only means that they are working to revolutionize the present conditions of production it has nothing in common with the foundation of cooperative societies with state aid but as far as the present cooperative societies are concerned they are of value only insofar as they are independent creations of the workers not protégés either of the government or of the bourgeoisie the whole concept of rise of the people rising up of the proletariat rising up and overthrowing the bourgeois state doesn't work if your whole concept of how that happens is the bourgeois state gives them some sort of grant to go start socialism with yeah. like it's just it, it is just so at its core, but, but Bernie's gonna give us the socialism. I can't. I can't even. I'm gonna. Why am I the one that's gonna punch you today? Why is this happening? I feel like whoever the person, who yes, whoever's reading, whoever's getting read to, gets to be the snarky one. Apparently, that's the rule. And I apparently I don't read enough. So nah. Whew. All right. Section four. We're almost there. I come now to the democratic section. Guys, remember when he said put a pin in it? Get that pin back out. The, the free basis of the state. First of all, according to Section 2, the German Workers' Party strives for the free state. Free state? What is this? It is by no means the aims of the workers who have got rid of the narrow mentality of humble subjects to set the state free. In the German Empire, the state is 
almost as free as in Russia. Freedom consists in converting the state from an organ superimposed upon society into one completely subordinate to it. And today, too, the forms of state are more or less free to the extent that they restrict the freedom of the state. The German Workers' Party, at least, if it adopts the program, shows that its socialist ideas are not even skin deep. In that the, instead of treating existing society, and this holds good for any future one, as the basis of the existing state, or of the future state in case of future society, it treats the state rather as an independent entity that possesses its own intellectual, ethical, and libertarian basis. And what of the riotous misuse of the program makes the words present-day state, present-day society, and of still the more riotous misconception it creates in regards to the state which it addresses its demands. Present-day society is capitalist society. It exists in all civilized countries, more or less free from medieval admixture, more or less modified by the particular historical development of each country, more or less developed. On the other hand, the present-day state changes with a country's frontier. It is different in the Prusso-German Empire than what it is in Switzerland, and it's different in England from what it is in the United States. The present-day state is a fiction. Nevertheless, the different states of the different civilized countries, in spite of their motley diversity of form, all have this in common. They are all based on modern bourgeois society, only one more or less capitalistically developed. They have, therefore, also certain essential characteristics in common. In this sense, it is possible to speak of the present-day state in contrast with the future in which its present root bourgeois society will have died off. The question then arises... What transformation will the state undergo in a communist society? In other words, what social functions will remain in existence that there are analogous to present state functions? This question can only be answered scientifically, and one does not get a flea hop nearer to the program by a thousandfold combination of the word people with the word state. Oh, yeah, baby, that's that good stuff. I, I have more than a... Oh, just needed to stop for a moment. Oh, God, that's so good. <laughs> God, the people stay people. It's oh, just, it's so good. Uh, and that, that, that paragraph, like verbatim, is going to come back up in chapter five. Mm -hmm. I don't care. It's amazing. That paragraph deserves to be screamed from the mountaintops. It's so good. Between capitalist and communist society, there lies the period of the revolutionary transformation of the one into the other. Corresponding to this is also a political transition period in which the state can be nothing but the revolutionary dictatorship of the proletariat. Title of the work scrolls in. Here we go, guys. Bam. Now, the program does not deal with this, nor with the future state of communist society. Its political demands contain nothing beyond the old democratic litany familiar to all. Universal suffrage, direct legislation, popular rights, a people's militia, etc. They are a mere echo of the bourgeois people's party, of the League of Peace and Freedom. They are all demands which, insofar as they are not exaggerated in fantastic presentation, have already been realized. Only the state to which they belong does not lie within the borders of the German Empire, but in Switzerland, the United States, etc. This sort of state of the future is a present-day state, although existing outside the framework of a German Empire. Again, everything they're asking for, this, this manifesto is not socialist. No. It's not communist. It's not revolutionary. It's liberal bourgeois bullshit wrapped up in fun buzzwords. That's all it was. But one thing has been forgotten. 
since the German Workers' Party expressly declares that it acts within the present-day national state, hence within its own state, the Prusso-German Empire, its demands would other, indeed be otherwise largely meaningless, since one only demands what one has not got. I can't believe that's actually how that was written, but it is. I uh, should not have forgotten the chief thing, namely that all those pretty little yugas, which is just baubles, just, I, I don't even know how else to say it, but it baubles, essentially, uh, rest on the recognition of the so-called sovereignty of the people and hence are appropriate only in a democratic republic. Since one has not the courage, and wisely so, for the circumstances demand caution to demand a democratic republic as the French worker programs under Louis Philippe and under Louis Napoleon did, one should not have resorted either to the subterfuge, neither honest nor decent, of demanding things which have meaning only in a democratic republic from a state which is nothing but a police-guarded military despotism, embellished with parliamentary forms, alloyed with a feudal admixture, already influenced by the bourgeoisie and bureaucratically carpeted. And then to assure this state into the bargain that one imagines, one will be able to force such things upon it by legal means. That sentence was super important. Yeah. Because that, well, a couple sentences, I guess. But, I mean, Marx was acknowledging, look, guys, I don't expect you to come out and say we're going to overthrow your government. We're going to have a revolution. We're going to have our own tennis cordos right here. You're not going to do that. You shouldn't. You live in the Prusso-German Empire. Otto von Bismarck will kill your ass. You are not in a democratic republic. But what the fuck is the point of asking for a veiled democratic republic from a state that you know will not give it to you? Why? Why even do it? What is the point? It is meaningless. Ah! Moving on to section B. The German well, I, worker... I also wanted to... Please, to, I, please, God. Yes. I also wanted to, to put... Right, the, and then to assure that this state, into the bargain that one imagines, one will be able to force such things upon it by legal means. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? You can't elect socialism. You can't do it. Not gonna happen. People, get that... I'm Sorry, Spencer... I love you. You cannot elect socialism. No. 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 Bad. No one. No one who rules over you is going to go. Um, yeah. If you just follow these rules, I'll give you all my power. Yeah. Not gonna happen. Like, like maybe if you really, really convince them that you are going to take them out back and shoot them, they might. But you bet. But to get to the point that but they're genuinely that, afraid, you're going to take them out back and shoot them. You're going to need to get a little revolutionary. Yeah, I mean, you you've kind of already got the power. You already did the thing. Yeah, yeah. For anyone who's seen Coraline, this this is like this is like taking if she wouldn't have thrown the cat, right? She had to throw the cat. That is a weird reference. That is a weird weird reference, and I am the king of those. Yeah. All right. B. The German Workers' Party demands, as the intellectual, ethical basis of the state, universal and equal elementary education by the state, universally compulsory school attendance, free instruction. The whole rest of this is, uh, it, I, I, I don't want to say it's unimportant, but I do want to say that it's just kind of more to the point and it gets kind of out of the theory aspect. It's just critiquing the various forms of education. Um, that you could have at the time, and we're so far past that ever being relevant again that I don't think it's worth it. Yeah. A couple good points that he makes, he did say that, and it's kind of it's kind of funny to me. Um, he, he did say that the concept of, of school being free, higher education, he said lower education being free is not revolutionary. It's already done in America. It's already done in Switzerland. It's done other places. He said if you're talking about higher education, that might be interesting. But all that amounts to in current society, without with the current social structure, is 
poor people subsidizing rich people's education through their taxes. Unless you change the social structure, making higher education free is not useful. He said, unless you specifically include technical and vocational schools, that is a meaningless proposal and it's bourgeois at best. Um, and that part I thought was relevant because again, I think that does, I think we've gotten better about that. I think the concept of having access to higher education is not, again, you can't buy your way into USC if you're not super rich, but access to higher education has gotten better in this day and age. So it's not as relevant, but it's still there. Yeah. Um, and then we get to the last little part of it that I wanted to get into because it's just, it's just so good. One, the appendix. Uh, he goes to define a couple terms. Most of them we've de- we've divided up as we've gone here. Most of it is just Marx basically saying, you guys didn't explain this. This is too vague. This is meaningless. Define your terms better. Um, one of them was fun, though, is five, regulation of prison labor. Uh, a petty demand in a general workers program. In any case, it should have been clearly stated that there is no intention from fear of competition to allow ordinary criminals to be treated like beasts, and especially that there is no desire to deprave them of their sole means of betterment, productive labor. This was surely at least the least one might have expected from the socialists. As far as I can... It's, it's kind of hard to read that. I don't know if Marx means that... He saw like productively. Does this kind of get to the? Well, I mean, this is this is is simply what he said. Like, why why would you demand that? Because he's saying that it's going to give you two things, right? You're either going to deprive them of labor completely, which how are they going to get back on their feet and turn back to people, or they're beasts, they're below you, so yeah. you can rag them of labor, and then you're introducing more competition, more into the the pool of oh god, now I can't think of the the pool of labor force. Uh, uh, oh fuck! You know how I'm bad about forgetting terms. Yeah, yeah. I know. Oh goddamn, goddamn, goddamn it! Hold on, hold on, hold on. The, the free reserve the, army. Not the, the yeah the the un, yeah the, the the reserve army of labor. Is that yeah yeah the labor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're you're depri- You're basically growing the reserve army of labor because you're you're making more labor. You know, done by them at at a lower pay. So you're competing for your work. So. He's basically speaking against low-paid prison labor, and that's and because it's interesting the distinction, which between, is very relevant today in the United it, States. It, no, it, it very much is, but I think it also explains another factor. It kind of cl- clicks something for me in my head. The sole means of betterment, productive labor. Mark, Marx doesn't write things he doesn't believe, and Marx doesn't write things that he's not doing earnestly to try and mm-hmm. and better society around him. From what I can tell, so. When he says the sole means of their betterment is productive labor, well, does he mean like that that work that some form of work? I feel like this yeah. explains the concept of uh, it does of re reeducation labor reeducation through labor labor camps forced labor the gul the gulags that whole concept yeah. that we think very very as a punishment only is very negative. It's I've never heard. And this does not say that I agree with that, because I'm not still 100% sure what my opinion on the concept of forced labor as a means of rehabilitation is. Sure. That being said, when they talk about forced productive labor, they're not talking about it as a way to kill you. They're talking about it as the only way they saw as reforming you. This yeah. was their way of, of of making you a productive member of society again. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to work your head around because we've spent so much of our life... Seeing prison labor as two things. One, 
concentration camps. And yeah. you, you see all prison labor is concentration camps because, you know, concentration camps existed. And then socialism has been attacked with this overt, overt propaganda yeah. to try to equal it to Nazism. And the other thing you see is in American society, you know, you see everybody in prison treated like shit. Look at how we think about criminals. They're like below us, right? Yeah. Like people don't say that person's a monster, that person's evil. They say like that person's a criminal. Like that's that's yeah. an ultimate slight. Like they crossed the law of the state and they're below scum now. Like, if you're a felon, you don't exist in society. <laughs> right, like, right. I mean, that's a felon. Like, think of the word felon, yeah, you know? Yeah. And uh, and so the idea of we think of people who break the law as something we should be animus towards, something that should be dead to us, something that someone that we should hate, like a class below all classes. Yeah. And we also think of any punishment as that. It's pun- It's not rehabilitation. It's punishment. And so when we see labor, we see, okay, that's a brutal form of punishment. But again, some from how the Nazis used concentration camp and some from how we've been propagandized uh, to socialist labor. But what socialist societies see is this is rehabilitation. This person has broken the law. They need to be removed from society somewhat and rehabilitated and reintroduced back into it. We need to correct what has gone on before they harm people. Okay. Before they harm people more. Like they have to be done harming people. And that's... And and they see labor as a way to do it because labor is... And this goes back to base Marxism. Yeah. This alienation of labor. Yes. Labor is your humanity. Yeah. So we, you know, they still they're still paying them fair wages. They're still I mean, even you look at the CIA documents about the Gulag. And I mean, yeah. obviously, this is not going to be like the best place to work in the country or they would they would put people there no. that, that were criminals. But they're talking about, you know, they still get 3000 calories in a day like everybody else. They're still paid regular wages, you know, uh, and many times they, I, some of them, they, they live there. Some of them, they would go home to their families at night. You know, I mean, it just depends. It's not a concentration camp. The CIA documents show you that. And so, you know, we know they're not really like that. And so it's a rehabilitative uh, way to do it. And it's centered around labor. It's centered around producing and being part of society, producing for and being part of society. It's just so I mean, that is that is definitely there are there's very few times live that we get to the part where I kind of get speechless and I don't really know what to do. But that is that that is such a and the fact that this was this isn't like retroactive trying to justify. It's not like they got caught with the gulags and went, no, no, no. We think yeah, this, this was is like how, 1875. Yeah, this was 18. So this is like a core component of socialist thought, at least if you're following Marx, which. I mean, fucking at least the Soviet Union was. Yeah. I mean, that that should, at the very least, that should, fu- that, if that doesn't fundamentally alter your your relationship to what that was, or at least make you think a little bit harder about what that was, I don't know. That that was very, very, that, that's very interesting. I had just, I and, and even all the marks we've done up to this point, I had never heard it put I know that they had. I, I knew that the the gulags were not this murder camp that they would send people off to just to kill them. I knew that there was this concept of they were going to be instead of having slave labor like the United States did, they had a labor force that they could get out. Of. I get those arguments, but the concept that at the core of that, even beyond just needing a labor force. They genuinely thought this was the only way for rehabilitation for criminals is is, is interesting. Yeah, I mean, this is this is someone who who needs to be taught, and we need to respect their humanity, and we need to mend them to make them wholly part of society again. And in Marxism, 
And I mean, obviously, you know, we're, we're very much Marxist, but in the core idea of Marxism, you know, with labor is your humanity. Why would you care about being alienated uh, from it otherwise? Yeah. You're making them whole. You're mending them whole. You're bringing them back to their full humanity to reintroduce them to society, rehabilitate. And when we talk about re- – and so this is something that I, – I, and I, I genuinely – again, this <laughs> – of course, on the first episode, once we actually have a sizable audience, I'm going to put myself out there. Like, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I, what kind of labor were they doing? Because we talk about, because alienation from labor is bad. Working for yeah. someone where you're not seeing the fruits of your labor, you're not you're not benefiting from it, and it's for you know someone else to get rich is bad. Labor that is productive and and for your own, you know, for the betterment of society, good. Mm-hmm. So I know I know for I know they used a lot of that. Uh, quote unquote, gulag labor was like the Trans-Siberian Railroad. All of that, the infrastructure they use that a lot mm-hmm. for. It, what I mean was that the kind was that typically the kind of work that was going on in the gulag? Uh, I don't have a definite answer to that. Okay, so um, we we can look that again. This, it's very rare that we we we, yeah. we try and posit questions we have no no idea about live. But but I so you know next time yeah, again I mean I'm I'm aware of the conditions like I said you know I mean it's it's CIA documentation where they admit to this shit and not the external stuff you know anything from externally from the CIA is like their concentration oh god yeah this yeah. is their internal stuff where they they're gonna tell the truth to each other and the documents have leaked it's like when the it's like when the Soviet archives opened up and everyone expected it to be like let's look at how often. oh fuck god damn it they were good yeah <laughs> they were they they did mean what they, they said they Son really of a thought bitch. the things they said Son yeah. of a bitch yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, so I know the conditions, but that doesn't mean like I'm an expert on like these 10 gulags did this and these five did that. And this 10,000 people did this. I don't know. And I I know, I think it was mentioned. And so again, anyone, anyone listening, um, you, you, you know where to find us on Twitter now. Uh, we, we are at Twitter at Mark and it it is good. My, My understanding that I do have, I will say is that it was more outdoor type work like yeah. you know infrastructure uh mining raw materials uh there's a lot of oil probably in, work in that Russia. would ideally that would at the end of the day probably have been more dangerous more risky and and so <laughs> if someone has to do that work justifying again it's important work it's it's critical work but it is work being done at a fair again assuming there's a fair wage being paid yeah i mean this is this is something where like you know you don't want to treat these people like beasts you these are people you want to rehabilitate mm-hmm. humanely and and draw back into society but you're not going to give them the labor that people are chopping at the bit for. Yeah, which may and that and that may honestly as a system And you're of, not going to give them the labor that that has a lot of deciding power on well, things. Well yeah, here. again, again there's some level to but again that is a I, I, I mean it's a productive use of your of your prison population yes. that's trying to at least at the very yes, least versus now maybe we don't want to press cheeseburgers but they're doing it for a dollar an hour and then they're treating them in shit conditions yeah. and yeah I mean no it's we're making ours we're making prisoners in California go fight fires like right. why like that's that's, that's a little deadly yeah yeah we're, we're sending kids to go fight fire that's that's not great yeah, yeah. Um, and I know um, I know in we're, uh, we're, you know we're making people pluck chickens and all kinds of shit you know yeah. I know in the in the proles. Uh, Sort recycling, that kind of thing is what they do in the United States. We we make them house slaves for mayor's offices. uh, I think Louisiana still Or the president of the United States, Bill fucking Clinton. Yeah, yeah, they did it for Arkansas. I think Arkansas no longer does, but I'm pretty sure Louisiana still does. Mm, Good, 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 good. All right, to finish to finish this this fun uh, fun bonus episode that's going to be an hour and twenty minutes long. (laughs) It's not bonus. It is this is all this is all good stuff. Yeah. Be it noted. 
Incidentally, that in speaking of the normal working day, the part of the factory legislation that deals with health regulations and safety measures has been overlooked. The liability laws come into operation only when those were infringed. In short, this appendix also is distinguished by its slovenly editing. He he had to throw in a a, a, a grammar dunk at the end there, like just he could the con- I've I've I have finished critiquing your content, sir. You also wrote it poorly. A good day. <laughs> And by good day, I mean his salute was something in what looks like Dick Stick Salivy. Basically, he his sign off in there uh, was in Latin. I have spoken and saved my soul. Is what he <laughs> is what he signed off with. This um, is the nice version, by the way. This is the nice version. And again, <laughs> this was... I mean, that is such a, may God have mercy on your soul. Yes, like, <laughs> but this was so important for Mark. And again, they dunked on it and they said it, they said it at the beginning in that forward. It, this was so harsh because... Marx and Engels knew anything talking about socialism was getting slapped on them, whether they had any input on it or not. Everyone thought there was this great, it's the same way with, it's the same global conspiracy that says that Stalin knew everything at every minute of the day that the NKVD was doing. Like that there were no independent actors or was no one else doing things on their own. It was just all one person dictating. Like everyone thought that all communist thought was being beamed straight from Marx's brain through, through telekinesis to every other and no, he wanted to be very clear what was and what was not his ideology. He didn't want his ideology bastardized like it, it has been over and over and over again by everyone who's not actually reading it, apparently. All the way back to chapter one, paragraph All one of the State way, and Rev. It's just so it, it is. And, and speaking of, this will be another one. There's going to be a lot of these bonus ones stuffed in because uh, I'm pretty sure before you hear this, you will have heard our uh, our our. our uh, my individual reading of the renegade Kautsky because it's just Kautsky dunks and we've already got past Kautsky. So I'm going to shove that in here probably, probably before you hear this. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's it. And that being said, that's, that's, I think everything on the Gotha program. That is, that is Marx's critique of the Gotha program. Um, again, it is its own, it, it could be a work unto itself, um, that we discuss, but I think in the context of this, it really just does give you a really great grounding for understanding the concepts that get brought up in chapter five. It makes chapter five of Satan Rev, you know, hit a little bit harder. At least it did for me. Um, so that being said, go, go find us on Twitter. We're there. We talk, we hang out. Y'all, y'all know we're there now. It's fun. Yeah. We're hanging out uh, there. But most importantly, most importantly, as we always say, read these works. Yes. Read these works. Uh, and then hopefully number one, that you read these works as a group and you go on and you have a group discussion and you can complement it with this. Yes. If need be, if you're reading this alone or in a smaller group that can't have a full discussion, we can be your supplementary discussion. And if absolutely necessary, we're happy to be your cliff notes. Absolutely. And again, this is the, this is the, if you've got something specifically that we didn't talk about that you want to talk about, well, I shout us out, find yeah, it. I we're, mean, we have a good communication. We want it. We want that discourse. We want to try and get better as, as a, as a community. So that's, mm-hmm. that's anything we can do is good. So, so that being said, we will see you next time uh, on Mark's Madness for Chapter 5 of State Revolution. Bye.